When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. If you enjoy discussing royal media in addition to current events and history within the British Royal family, then you have found your home. Please, if you could, take a moment, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell icon down below so you can stay up to date on all things happening here on the channel. Continuing our series into royal media as we prepare for season 5 of The Crown, today we are discussing all things The King's Speech. I remember this film distinctly when I was in high school. It really took America over here by storm. It was a film that a lot of people watched, a lot of people got into, and it really ignited a new generation of interest in King George VI. This film won a lot of awards, it had stellar performances, and truly earned the accolades that is associated with it, but critics had a lot of issues with this film. Either they liked it and understood what they were doing, or they really had problems with some things that the film left out, didn't acknowledge, and certain portrayals of, of certain actual real-life figures. Today, we're going to do what we do best. We're going to put the film under the microscope and discuss what it got right, what it got wrong, slash altered and exaggerated, and again, try to understand why. So, everyone, take a seat, buckle up, as we put the King's Speech under the microscope today. So, the film, what's a brief synopsis? How can we briefly describe this film? So, the King's Speech follows King George VI and his ascension to the throne in 1936. It has the main focus of him dealing with his stammer, overcoming the shame of his stutter, the internal sort of shame that he feels, and his overall evolution from sort of being this sort of shy person in public, not liking public speaking, to being the leader that we know him through and the king that got us through World War II. Additionally, it follows the friendship that he had with his speech therapist Lionel Logue, how they start off really kind of standoffish, but then ultimately forming this really, really tight bond. The film covers the abdication crisis, the beginnings of World War II, and just, again, the internal shame he felt for his stammer. So who's behind the King's Speech? Who is responsible for it? Well, we have director Tom Hopper, and we have writer David Seidler. They're the two sort of creative minds behind the film. And then performances. We have King George VI is portrayed by Colin Firth. The Queen Mother is Helena Bonham Carter. We have Lionel Logue is portrayed by Jeffrey Rush. We have the Duke of Windsor is Guy Pearce. Wallace Simpson is Eve Best. King George VI is portrayed by Michael Gambon. Queen Mary is by Claire Bloom, and Winston Churchill is portrayed by Timothy Spall. So it's actually a little like Harry Potter reunion, where Helena Bottom Carter is married to is is married to Mr. Darcy. We have Captain Barbosa coming in to be the speech therapist. We have Albus Dumbledore is former king, and we have Peter Pettigrew as 
the Prime Minister. So it's this little comical little Harry Potter reunion that I actually truly really enjoy. But as I've already said, the film has these sort of two really big character arcs. The King, King George VI, Bertie, dealing with his stammer, overcoming the shame that he feels with his stammer, and sort of understanding where he thinks it came from, and his whole evolution from shy, you know, in, doesn't really like public speaking, doesn't really want to be king, kind of, you know, just wants to do his duty and be over here, to this leader, really becoming this leader, and who got England and the UK through World War II, and the other arc being this friendship that the king forms with his speech therapist, Lionel Logue. This, you know, they start off kind of at ends with each other. Lionel really wants to help. The king doesn't want any help to where now he's, they've been able to figure out what works and this really kind of wonderful friendship. But what did the film get right? The film actually got quite a lot right, as you would expect, but what all did they get right? So, yes, it is true that as a child, Bertie really did have this overpowering nanny that really didn't like him, that would, like, pinch him to make him cry, to get him away. He, if she, he would have meals withheld. She was just not a really good person. So it is true that for a while he did have this really overpowering nanny as a child that really made him this sort of... Get, a lot of trauma was there. There's a lot of trauma to unpack there, but that is true. Uh, he did have a uh, stammer that he wasn't necessarily really proud of. He also did have to wear leg braces. So those parts of his childhood are true. It is, it is true that uh, Prince David, later known as King Edward VIII, he was known as this party boy who really didn't take duty too seriously. And it was this sort of rift in the family of, okay, he needs to own up to, he needs to start stepping into roles. So that is true that uh, Edward VIII sort of had a problem with his duty and not really wanting to do it. It is also alleged, we have to say alleged, that George V and Queen Mary weren't necessarily the best of parents. We know when reading royal biographies that the typical royal childhood, really up until recently, was a lot of governesses, nannies away while your royal parents go work, you see them a few hours a day, and then that's that. And this is an example of that typical childhood in that they were kind of distant. Uh, George V, again, alleged being sort of this overpowering figure. Again, I wasn't there. I don't. I can only use history books to form my judgments now. But again, it's all alleged. It is known that Bertie did have a temper at times. He did have sort of a short fuse, especially as he got older. That fuse kind of got a little shorter and shorter and shorter. So that is true that he would sort of have these outbursts at times. He did smoke like a chimney. He did develop a really bad habit of smoking. It was thought to be a treatment to help his stutter, but ultimately he became dependent upon it. Bertie did seek treatment to help with his stutter. He did go to quite a few places, and ultimately Lionel Logue seems to be the one that really helped. So that is, you know, something that they did get right. There is that real frustration of having a stammer. As someone who does have a stammer and a stutter and has gone to speech therapy for, it's something that I really related to, that it is that frustration where you just can't seem to get the words out and they just can't really seem to flow. So that's something I personally related to. Uh, of course, Bertie did work with Lionel Logue for a while. It really seemed to help with his stammer. The film really got right his relationship with his two little daughters, Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret. It is true that they 
as a kid, he really wanted them to have the childhood that he didn't have. So the scenes where there's you see their toys everywhere, being them coming up into the playroom at 145 Piccadilly, it you know that is very accurate where he wanted them to have this you know, these wonderful memories to look back on and not this sort of overpowering nanny and having family time and really creating this family unit that we really hadn't seen before so that is something that the film really got you know those moments really wonderfully right um of course the queen mother hating wallace simpson the queen mother wanted nothing to do with her she did not like wallace simpson and the film where you know they're they go to Balmoral and she goes I'm here at the pleasure of the king and sort of cuts Wallace off and yes the queen mother hated Walt Simpson wanted nothing to do with her so the film kind of touches a little bit on that but there's there's real animosity there the next one the home at 145 Pic uh, Piccadilly we actually get to see 145 Piccadilly and that was the home of the Duke and Duchess of York when they were in, that was sort of their home then they had Royal Lodge at Windsor and it is true that there was a lot of hesitation moving to Buckingham Palace. They really didn't like the idea of moving to Buckingham Palace when he uh, eventually became king. Uh, it was, you know, 145 Piccadilly was there was this wonderful home unit. And especially when reading The Little Princesses by Marion Crawford, it, the, she really goes into detail truly how much they loved 145 Piccadilly and that sort of hesitation of moving into Buckingham Palace. But that is very true. Of course, the precursors to World War II, Hitler coming into power, that they really couldn't, you know, if they wrote that out, they'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, his eventual world speech for World War II, his coronation when he became king, the relationship between, you know, husband and wife, Bertie and Elizabeth, where, you know, he truly leaned on her and she was a sort of really rock for him, this steady force, you know, the, the light in the fog. That is, again, something very true that they got right. And, you know, in private, you know, Bertie wearing his heart on his sleeve, his, you know, his outbursts, you know, those, that is very true. Again, but in private, he could really put, you know, that mask on out in public. And really how hesitant he was to be king, you know, he was the spare. He was never supposed to be king. So the anxiety, the fear, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, that, again, is something that was very real. But what did they change? So the film, as discussed, they got they got a lot of big pillars right. This is sort of in the realm of Peter Morgan, what he does, where the big pillar of things, the things that we can easily recognize, we he gets right. And, of course, certain parts of history you have to include when uh, doing a historical fiction. But the film does exaggerate things. Things are changed. And for storytelling purposes, again, the main arc of this film is Bertie overcoming his stammer and his friendship with Lionel Logue. So that's the focus. It's all from the King's perspective. It's all from the King's perspective. So they did exaggerate some things. Things did get changed. But what did they end up changing? The first one is his stammer. So yes, it is true that King George VI did have a stutter. Yes, he was frustrated with it. Yes, he didn't like it. But the film really exaggerates it to where he really can't complete a sentence. And the best example of this is in the opening of the film, they replicate a speech he gave out. I believe it's at a horse track or um, the Olympic Games. It's the Olympic Games. He gives a speech. He opens everything. And it's the way that the film portrays it is he can barely get through a sentence. He just can't seem to do it. But when you actually watch the film reel, the, 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 the film reel's out on YouTube, he, again, he has steady flow, he can, he can finish sentences, 
Yes, are there stutters? Yes, are there hiccups? But the film really takes a stance of before he couldn't even finish a sentence. And so that's why he hated his duty in royal work. And, you know, he couldn't do where, mm, no, the, the, the film really exaggerates the before, but it helps to sell the after. That's the big thing. They exaggerate the before to further, you know, do this underdog storyline. Additionally, the film cites that his family and his upbringing is the source of his stammer and that that's really the cause of it all, when in reality, as science has proven, we can't really 100% concretely say where a stutter comes from, just that it, again, it develops. There's a, there's a whole speech uh, science behind it that is significantly above my intelligence level, but the big point of it is, is not, it's really difficult to pinpoint an exact source of a stammer and that it typically develops in children. Most of them grow out of it, but there are those adults such as myself that still have a stammer. And this is, you know, also George VI is an example of that. But the film takes a stance of, this is where it came from, when in reality, we don't fully know where it came from. Moving on, uh, the film, we see film reels of Hitler coming to power, and it's in German, and the king would have known German. It is quite common for members of the royal family to understand multiple languages. Uh, in fact, it's very common that they do know French because there's still a tradition where royal menus are in French. So the the idea of him not knowing German, not knowing what Hitler's saying is actually something of a fallacy. He would have understood the German. He would have known what they were saying. The royal family still has a lot of German heritage, so they would have known what was going on and what was being said. The next one is familial depictions. So George V, Edward VIII, and Queen Mary, their character traits are exaggerated a lot, but again, the film is from Bertie's perspective, from George VI's perspective. It's all from his, sort of his point of view. So of course, you know, the father is gonna be portrayed as a little bit more overbearing and demanding and this looming figure because of the anxiety that this character's feeling and the sort of fear of you know, is this going to be what I'm going to have to do more of? I don't want to do this. So, of course, the father is going to be portrayed slightly more unfair. Um, of course, the brother being this really vapid party boy, um, just wanting to go around having fun. You know, th these are traits that are exaggerated, again, for storytelling purposes. It's all from Bertie's point of view. In reality, uh, the then, to use names that I know that were used around the family, David and Bertie were actually quite close. And in fact, in the most recent documentary that came out that was actually narrated by the Queen, we can see film footage of them actually being quite close, well up until the abdication. In fact, the abdication really was this big defining moment. And of course, at that point, we know uh, <laughs> there was a lot more behind the scenes that we will fully never be privy to. But up until when he became king and then the abdication, they were really quite close and they were, you know, actually really kind of, you know, good relationship between between brothers. But of course, the film is taking this dramatic standpoint of this brother that, you know, doesn't want to do the job, is this party boy, has his uh, lovers, and of course, Wallace Simpson, this American divorcee, you know, his scandalo. Um, but the familial depiction, especially of the older generation within the royal family at the time of, of the film, 
again, unfairly depicted. Again, they take a few character traits, but again, the, the character of George V, the character of Queen Mary, we see very briefly. So of course we're not going to spend much time with them, but their depictions rub certain historians the wrong way. One thing the film does not acknowledge is Edward VIII's sympathies towards the Nazi regime and his connections with the Nazi regime, uh, Wallace Simpson's connection with the Nazi regime. If you want to hear more about that in detail, we discuss it a little bit in Season 2 Review of the Crown, so go check that out above. Um, but the film doesn't acknowledge it at all. It, the only reason for the abdication is his love for Wallace, when in reality we know that there's, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes, especially when it came to the Nazi regime. So the, the film doesn't acknowledge it. It, it, it's just not even there. And that really made historians angry, that they just decided to not acknowledge that, when in reality it did happen. Um, additionally, there's no mention of appeasement, during this film, they don't even acknowledge, again, it's something that's not even acknowledged, and that rubbed a lot of critics the wrong way. The handling of the abdication is also different from what really happened in history. So, the film depicts that Churchill is actually supporting uh, George VI and the Queen Elizabeth, you know, you know, taking the stance of, you know, what is he doing, but in reality, Churchill actually supported uh, Edward VIII when it came to the abdication and told him to not bend to those ideas. Churchill kind of really took the stance of, you know, we need to support, you know, you need to do what you need to do. Don't bend to what you're saying. We'll figure it out. And took the stance of supporting Edward VIII at times, which of course rubbed a whole bunch of people the wrong way and sort of made where George VI and Churchill were sort of like lukewarm to each other. But they change the handling of the abdication in the film. They don't even acknowledge certain things. They change how certain actual historical figures behaved. And I think they changed this solely because, again, that's not truly the arc of the film. Yes, it's history happening around the film, but it's not what the film is truly about. And so they have to make certain decisions. Like when taking a book to film, you have to make certain decisions. The things just are get, get cut, don't get acknowledged, or and if it's subject to something kind of minor. And granted, this is a very huge deal. The abdication is a very big part of British history. I don't, and world history for, for, for that matter. I don't want to take that away. But this film only has about two hours to tell uh, like 20, 30, 20, 25 years of history. So certain things just get, you know, for dramatic purposes, certain things get cut, they don't get acknowledged. And the scope of the film is all from Bertie's perspective, and he's the underdog here. So I understand why they were altered, why certain things were left out, but of course, hey, you need to kind of acknowledge some of these things. Another thing that they altered is the timeline of things are a little off. Some things move very quickly, and some things get really dragged out. Um, and the timeline of really when Lionel Logue gets introduced is a little weird. He actually first met Lionel Logue in 1926. They began working together in the mid-20s, and uh, they were quite successful. Shortly after working with him, he went on a tour to Australia and gave all these speeches, and it was you know, wonderful. And the film shows that it took so long to make progress, but in reality, he made progress quite quickly and things moved along really, really well. Some things that some political figures are present in scenes when they actually would not have been. They just would not have been there. And uh, 
there some of their depictions are a little weird some of them some family members to get angry about why were some of these historical figures present well it's simply to kill like eight birds with one stone some people over here in america don't or just elsewhere in the world don't really know who these people are so we can still tell a dramatic story but also include some other people in history that were important yeah they might not have been there but we're going to include them to try to have a rounded um rounded out historical experience quite briefly but uh, an example of where things were altered that people actually that family members had issues with uh the character and real person stanley baldwin in reality retired from his position after a decade of him being at the top he was considered a hero and everybody really you know like hey yeah you go we get it but in the film he was depicted as someone who sort of refused to order britain's uh rearmament sort of retired and was sort of looked down upon and so his portrayal was unfair the family actually got angry about it and this is an example of that where he was included when he probably didn't need to be but when he was included they altered history and the family got angry about it one thing that multiple historians have pointed out is that george the sixth and the queen mother would not have tolerated such casual behavior and such um casual addressing and conversation around lionel logue there would still have been this line you are addressing a member of the royal family you are talking to the king they would not lina would have never been given permission to call him birdie uh the swearing in front of him there's a scene where uh which is comical where the king then he's duke of york but he saw this moment where he just just stands up and shouts and screams a bunch of uh, expletives and swear words when that wouldn't have happened that straight up would not have happened the casualty between lionel and George VI would not have happened. There would still been this line and royal protocol would have still been followed. This is one of the things where multiple historians and commentators have come out going, uh, no, we understand what you're doing here. You're showing friendship. You're showing that he has someone else to lean on. This is another support system. We get what you're doing, but there would have still been this line. And there still would have been this moment where they would have, again, there would have been a line and why was this why was this there again to highlight the arc of their friendship and the last thing is that the conversation between george v to birdie about the importance of broadcasting when he sits down and tries to read the speech that more than likely did not happen it's only there again for storytelling purposes it's there for foreshadowing purposes it's there to be this looming figure of anxiety to give the character birdie a story arc so as you can see, it's a lot of some things they really change, some things they don't, they didn't acknowledge, uh, some, and it's sort of par for the course, like with Peter Morgan in the Crown and with the Queen that we're going to eventually get to. It's I can understand what they're doing. It's from storytelling purposes standpoint, you can't you can't include everything. We have to be really selective about what we include. We're here to entertain. We're here to tell a story. And one review that I cite down below. He says, oh, there's even, there's a whole bunch of history around here where you didn't need to alter it. It's inter it would be entertaining enough, you know, you, but the story is about his stammer and his friendship with Lionel Loke, someone outside the royal circle, a commoner, an Australian, and it, that's the focus of this film. And that, I understand the critiques. I understand people being, you know, really critical. But some things they, in in my opinion, they should have included. The 
especially with the appeasement in Nazi, there's no mention of it at all, and in my opinion, it, 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 it needed that. So, more some other things about the film that I really want to talk about. Uh, the, in a lot of montages in the film, a lot of actually Mozart's music, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's music was used. Uh, in the montage where they're going through the different speech methods, they actually have sections of the Mozart's clarinet concerto. They use pieces from uh, the Marriage of Figaro. So Mozart's music get, uh, gets used, which I actually cite when I uh, teach music appreciation. I use those scenes to, 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 to highlight that. IMDb cites this film as an overall rating of 8 out of 10. This film has a 94% on the tomato meter and has a 92% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And Metacritic cites this film as having an 88 out of 100 and it has a Metacritic must-see rank on this film. In 2011, this film won Academy Awards for Best Motion Picture of the Year. Uh, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Writing for Original Screenplay, and Colin Firth won the Oscar for uh, Best Actor in a Leading Role. But additionally, Helena Bottom Carter and Jeffrey Rush were nominated for their roles in the Supporting Actor category. So the letter that was the main source of inspiration behind this film, that was a letter that George VI wrote to Lionel, actually went up for auction a few years ago. This letter was written shortly after the coronation, and it was a gift to Lionel Logue. It had a gilt silver uh, cigarette case with it, and this letter is cited as the, one of the main inspirations behind the film. It was a letter that, you know, thank you for your help, you know, as I was thinking at the time, but, you know, the tools that we worked on, you're a wonderful person, great friend, all these accolades, and this gift uh, went up for auction a, a few years ago, but that was the main really driving force behind this film was this letter, because when you look at history, there's really not a lot of discussion about Lionel Logue and his sort of help that he gave to George VI. And lastly, Her Majesty the Queen was actually sent a copy of the film. She was sent two copies of the film, and she actually watched it in a private screening. She's, she actually, this is one of the few instances where she has seen media depicting her family. And it's reported that she liked it. She actually liked the film and she was, quote, touched by a moving portrayal of her father. And so it gave her seal of, of approval for this film, which the director and the creative team came back saying, you know, this was the biggest compliment anybody could give to this film. So those are some other just kind of fun facts that I wanted to discuss. Yeah, this film did win the 2011 Best Picture of the Year. And now my opinion on this film. One, I appreciate that Lancaster House gets used again as the Buckingham Palace stand-in. It has become this sort of way to connect all these different show universes together of having Buckingham Palace be Lancaster House. It's sort of this wonderful constant. Um, but I I appreciate the film. I understand what it's doing. It's this. It's a story of the underdog. It's the story of someone who was seen as, can they do it? Oh, oh my goodness, can they do it? And then showing I ca actually can do it. Overcoming a struggle that I personally relate to of someone who has a stammer. It underlines, you know, his quiet, you know, quote, quiet, unassuming heroism and his deep sense of duty that we can see, we can understand how that got passed to Queen Elizabeth. It, his love and his uh, adoration of his family and the importance of his family. And again, it's a story of the underdog. And I understand the critiques that people have of this film, where 
it doesn't acknowledge some key points of history, but in, in, in my opinion, I don't know how it would have gone over talking about the Nazi connection that early. You know, we didn't, it fully didn't break ground in media pop culture news about the Nazi connection. And that being the big reason for the abdication until The Crown. So having this film so early uh, discussing it, I don't I don't quite know how it, it, it would have gone over. I earnestly don't know. You can you can do no wrong with Colin Firth. You can do no wrong with Helena Bottom Carter. This is a truly like lightning in a bottle cast. This is a truly fantastic cast. They're all wonderfully trained. They had a really great rapport and a really great relationship. And I, it, again, the sole performances behind the cast were fantastic. Costumes were great. They, I remember seeing an interview with Helena Bonham Carter where they actually tried to put uh, false teeth in because the Queen Mother notoriously didn't have the best teeth. It's, it's just what it is. But ultimately, it like messed with her face shape and it was weird to talk with and so they ultimately just went without it but the they actively don't try to go for likeness in this film and i all i think it was probably for the best where much like the crown you have instead of focusing so much on likeness of the character you focus on just the quality of the product you can put forth a really great product and the performances behind it were fantastic sets were great costumes chef's kiss makeup set design just beautiful it's a very beautiful film to watch it's wonderfully stylized um so the actual watching of it fantastic i really enjoy watching it but then once you get into the actual nitty-gritty details of the writing what they chose what they did again it's always when it comes to films and shows it's always where i have just questions about the production process of it the writing of it, you know, the research of it, where you chose to, you know, go with this story, and, you know, why did you choose to exaggerate the stutter so much? It was, yes, it was, it's frustrating, I can relate to that, but at times this is a very over-exaggerated stutter, and we have to get props to Colin Firth where he actually worked with a vocal coach and someone to really try to make the stutter feel real and the frustration of it being real and a lot of uh speech societies and societies that deal with people with stutters and you know the science team came out saying hey we really like that this is some form of representation here the frustration of it all so i really appreciate that but i also agree with some of the critiques of the film where the timeline the things are a little off uh it could have it could have added to the story leaving some of these big historical th things in but we have to keep in mind that this film is all from george the sixth perspective it is we are in his world we are in his interpretation of things so we have to keep that in mind when looking at the core story of the film and going forward with it it's all from his perspective and this truly ignited a whole generation's interest in George VI. In fact, it was one of the big uh, compelling forces behind Susan Webb's children's book about uh, Bertie and his stutter, which I'll link to the podcast above where we actually talk about it. And I interview her, and she was a wonderful guest, by the way. 
but the film, The King's Speech, wonderful film, fantastic performances by the cast, a truly beautiful film, lives up to the accolades that it deserved, but the critiques are just. The critiques are warranted. The film could have been, in my opinion, more compelling, leaving some of that in. Uh, some things get left out that I don't agree with, that they, could, again, should have been put back in. But I understand from a creative standpoint, I understand what they're doing. It's like taking a book into film. It's, again, you have to pick and choose things. You have to keep in mind the storytelling purposes. We have to keep the story moving forward and bogging it down with too much real history. You're essentially now watching a documentary. I can go over here and watch it. I want to be entertained. And they tell a clear story of the underdog, a very real story of the underdog. And it brought a whole new generation of people rallying behind George VI. So I really appreciate it. The King's Speech, a fantastic film. Got a lot right. Got a decent amount exaggerated. But overall, I saw a lot of people saying that this film, they would rate it, you know, a 75 out of 100. Or, you know, give it a 75% where there's, you know, it's close enough to real history to where it's believable. But they, again, they, they exaggerate just enough that people start to have problems with it. But what did you think? comment down below what did what did you think of the film did you did you pick up on these things that it's another story of the underdog sound off in the comments below i would really like to hear your opinions on this film but there we have it everyone the king's speech survived being under the microscope and just like the crown it's close enough to history to where the actions are believable but things are exaggerated for storytelling purposes to keep the story going all my sources for all my research are linked in the description box below, as well as all the socials for the show. Thank you for stopping by, and I will see you in the next one.